You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to LNC Region 3 uh, uh, Town Hall with Judge Jim Gray and Larry Sharp, who are running for president and vice president, respectively. My name is Chris Spangle. I am the host of We Are Libertarians, a podcast that is a libertarian podcast nationally, but based here in Indianapolis. And I am the former executive director of the Libertarian Party of Indiana from 08 to 12, where I was fortunate enough to meet Judge Jim Gray out at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. And I will be I will be reading them the questions. It's the delegates will not be joining us, but we have solicited delegate questions uh, for the judge and for Mr. Sharp. And I will read those, and we will take questions from those of you viewing on Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, Twitch, and uh, feel free to comment, and we will answer those once we uh, run through delegate questions. Uh, For those of you who are not familiar with Judge Jim Gray, he was the presiding judge of the Superior Court of Orange County, California. Gray was the 2012 Libertarian Party vice presidential nominee as well as the party's 2004 candidate for United States Senate in California. He is the author of multiple books and a play and is an outspoken critic of American drug laws. Now, Larry Sharp, running for vice president, was a candidate for the LP's nomination for vice president of the United States in 2016 when he became a breakout star. Sharp was also the libertarian nominee for governor of New York in the 2018 gubernatorial election. And Sharp is the founder and managing director of the online business training company Neo Sage Group, Inc. He hosts the podcast The Sharp Way as well. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. Just a pleasure, Chris. Just a pleasure. Always good to share thoughts with good people. Did Wikipedia get all of your bio points right? (laughs) Uh, Actually, I can't get rid of it that I was never the presiding judge of the Superior Court. When I was there, I was the presiding judge of probate, so that just carried over. But otherwise, the answer is yes. I could add a great deal more, of course, but I'm a really good guy, but we'll have to let it go. (laughs) Excellent. Before we get started, there is a little bit of controversy that Lucy Brenton, uh, a great Hoosier libertarian, asked about right off the bat. And she asks, I heard Judge Jim Gray is against jury nullification. I'm wondering if that is true. Judge, would you please speak on that? Yes, Judge Jim Gray favors jury nullification. End of discussion. It is a protection that we all have where the civilians can oversee decisions by the government, and it prevents injustice. It prevents just exactly what we do not want to have. So, yes, I favor that, but it's more complicated than that as well, that that you have other people that, that do not understand what's going on. They went into questions that were actually free speech questions instead of jury nullification questions. But Judge Jim Gray favors jury nullification, where a jury can ignore the law and acquit a defendant. There's no appeal. It's over. It's a protection that we all have. And if we were to lose that, I would be outraged. Excellent. Thank you so much for clearing that up. I also want to thank Elizabeth Van Horn, who is the Region 3 
uh, LNC representative who invited me to come do this and uh, to help present this. And she is a great representative for the states of Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, and Kentucky. Those are the delegate states that we have solicited from today. And uh, I would also be remiss if I didn't help promote their website, which is graysharp2020.com. That is G-R-A-Y-S-H-A-R-P-E-2020.com if you'd like to learn more about them. Uh, so let's go to the first delegate question. There are no names. We wanted to keep it somewhat anonymous. You know, we're all about privacy in the libertarian movement. And so this is first to Judge Jim Gray and then to Larry Sharp. Do you both or do you have a position on climate change and the Paris Climate Accords beyond nuclear? Judge? Yes. You know, I have a podcast as well. Maybe I'm in competition with you, but it's called All Rise the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. And I've invited numbers of people from private foundations, from uh, professors who are talking about how private individuals, private corporations, private foundations are really much more effective at climate, contra- uh, climate control than, than the government is. The government pontificates and gets political, but these are things that can be done. Now, maybe, for example, the government could put a bounty on some of that plastic trash in the North Pacific. Uh, that would be fine. And then the, the private industry can, can bring these things out. But there are so many things that the private people, private foundations do that are successful. And besides then, okay, let's get a little bit technical because life is complicated. Yes, human beings are contributing to getting the planet warmer. Just look at your thermometer. But let's have a cost-benefit analysis. If we were to shut down all automobiles in the United States, that would probably reduce climate warming a little bit. How much? Let's take that in consideration in relation to the decimation of our economy. So it's it's a cost-benefit analysis. And you also have to remember that right now, China and India, for example, are still building coal-burning plants for generating electricity that we're not contributing to climate change insignificantly. Uh, in comparison to a lot of countries of the world. But it's a balance. We all want to have a cleaner water, cleaner air, have the reduction of the uh, of climate change, and we'll work together to do it. But let's not, let's not rely on mother government because mother government just doesn't do it nearly as effectively as we the people. Mr. Sharp. Yeah, I think the judge is right, right? The, the idea of having a, a, an agreement, right? Having the Paris Accord. I'm not against the concept of having an agreement, as long as all that agreement is, is a list of what we agree should happen, meaning here are the standards that we think people should do. No problem with that, as long as it's not a dictate that we must do. And is there a difference? There is. People like to have something to measure against. It's a common thing. We want a scoreboard. So if an accord creates a scoreboard, awesome. Now we have a scoreboard. Here's what we're trying to achieve. But the judge said it. The Chinese are still building coal plants. I guess they're going to fail in that school board. Maybe we could actually win. How could we win? By doing what the judge says. Why don't we have the government become the central repository for information or the central repository for bounties to get the private uh, government, the private um, sector to start moving forward? But Larry, if we don't have rules and regulations, then no one else will act. Yeah, that's not true. You can see that when we got out of the Paris Accord, what happened? Private organizations jumped in, cities jumped in locally, local municipalities jumped in, and so did the private sector. So I'm not against the idea, and the judge is is, is saying that, not against the idea of someone having standards. Let's have a scoreboard, a scoreboard. Once we have a scoreboard, now all the government does is, you know, facilitate that to allow the private sector to make it work. 
Okay, our next delegate question, I'm, I'm going to add to a little bit to the original question to clarify what I think they're asking. They asked, what is the role of the USA in the world? But I'm going to interpret that as, what is the role of American foreign policy on the global stage? Let's go to Judge Jim Gray first. Well, first of all, we should be partners with the rest of the world. Uh, we have our own values. We don't compromise our principles. But let me, let me tell you story, Chris. I was the chair of the World Affairs Council of Orange County a few years ago. And prior to one of our meetings, and we bring in speakers that talk about foreign relations, etc. I was talking myself with the consul general from Germany and the consul general from India. And we were sharing a glass of wine just talking. I said, what does your government think about the government of the United States? Oh, we're partners, we're friends. I said, okay, I understand. You're a diplomat. That's what you're supposed to say. Now, how do you really think? And the Consul General from Germany looked at me and said, you treat us like children. You dictate to us what should be done. And the Consul General from India said the same thing. No, you know, we're part of the world community. We believe in world trade. We believe in free trade. We believe in getting along with people. We believe in having reasonable treaties. Although remember George Washington, where we don't want to get foreign entanglements, which we've certainly done. But what we want to be a citizen of the world community. And that's what we should be. Uh, we meddle too much. We can get into much more if you want to. But Ron Paul said, and I use his statistics, the United States today has something in the order of 400 military reservations around the world. Now, let's just audit them. Let's just look at them publicly if we need to. If they're necessary, fine. Keep them, maybe even reinforce them. But probably not. Probably not at all. In fact, probably within a 45-day audit, we could determine that 300 of them simply were not necessary as long as we weren't breaking our agreements with the foreign countries. But when they are, we'll either renegotiate or we'll leave. And those are things that we should do. To and the last thing I'll say, and maybe I'm getting too, too carried away here, but I love New Zealand. I love New Zealanders. But if New Zealand had a naval air station 10 miles away from my home, and pretty soon I'd start getting tired of their jets flying over my house, maybe their sailors would get get a little bit inebriated and pick on our women, et cetera. I wouldn't start, I'd stop liking New Zealanders quite so much. It's the same thing with Americans. You know, we can be safer and better liked if we bring our troops home like that. But you don't just do it a brick through a window. You audit, you show the public why, then they'll say, good idea. Yes, I think that's exactly what we should do and we'll be effective. All right, Mr. Sharp, anything to add? I, I love what the judge said. One of the there are many reasons why I decided to come aboard and support the judge. And one of the biggest ones is his idea of auditing. Right. We literally audit the military industrial complex. We audit all of our treaties. We audit them all. And the ones that don't work, we get out of the ones that we can get out of immediately. We do the ones that we don't. We negotiate our way through. We see what works and what doesn't. We make sure that whatever treaties we have or whatever parts of the military industrial complex we have is specifically meant to assist in further trade to make sure we have, you know, that we're making sure the, the waterways are safe. And that's about it. Otherwise, bring them all home. The, the goal, as the judge says, should be to encourage us all being part of the global family, all just trading and, and giving happiness to, to every country to the best of our ability. That's it. Yeah, Chris, let me, and yes, sir. now you one has any question why I would invited Larry Sharp to be my running mate. I mean, he's just a, a really articulate. We call him Mr. Libertarian in a lot of ways, too. But, but one thing that we do have a vested national interest in is free trade, is those free waterways. And that means that we should do our part in keeping the Bosphorus open to get into the Black Sea or the uh, 
uh, South China Sea, and, and that's what we're trying to, trying to put in some islands and take, take possession. I think that is part of our national interest, and we should contribute that along with the rest of the world community. If that means we have a few foreign bases, then so be it. Our next question from Region 3 LNC delegates is, a couple of days ago, the Department of Justice requested new emergency powers amid the coronavirus pandemic. One of the requests to Congress would allow the department to petition a judge to indefinitely detain a U.S. citizen during an emergency. How would you respond to the agency if they made that request with you at the head of the executive branch? We'll start with Judge Jim Gray. My Department of Justice will never invite such a response. The answer flat out, categorically, unequivocally is no. That's not who we are. We are a rule of law. We will give, if people are in our custody, we will give them charges against them or, and trials uh, within reason. And I think this whole FISA court thing is, is just wrong. It's not who we are. So the answer to that flat out is no. If you want more information, because when I saw this, I actually wrote a response to it that did not hold back any punches. Go to graysharp2020.com. Uh, it's there on our website. This is simply not who we are. The flat out answer, Chris, is no. Mr. Sharp. You heard what the judge said? All right. Fair enough. Let's go to the next question from a delegate. As our nominee, and you may take exception with the premise of this question, as our nominee, winning the election is your goal. That is incredibly unlikely. That being said, what other goals would you have as a presidential and vice presidential candidate? Again, we'll default to the judge. Well, we want to and we will, in effect, change the culture of our country. Chris, we have so many constituents around our country that we are the only party that serves for them, that, that speaks for them. Uh, the young, in fact, let me tell you quickly, proudly, that on April 21st, I became a granddaddy for the first time. And I was, April 26th, I was holding my little grandson, Hudson, in my arms and just kind of welling up thinking, what a miracle. And then the second thing I thought was, okay, Hudson, you're $76,000 in debt, pay up. Okay, you know, we have are putting burdening our children with this deficit, and they're the ones that are going to have to shoulder that. We're the only people that stand for them. Young people are our natural constituents. People that are not having quality education available to them, they're our constituents. The elderly, the sick, with regard to health care, we will bring down the cost, bring competition back into the health care. It goes on and on. So we make that aware. We make libertarianism accessible. Then... Also, what we will do is we will be a campaign that you or anyone would be proud to expose, to introduce to your friends, to your relatives, to your neighbors. We're not going to scare people. We're going to inspire them. When I was in the Peace Corps, one thing I learned, I was in Costa Rica, but, but I learned that people will not change their attitudes or change their actions unless there is what we call a felt need. That is, it has to feel like it's coming from within. This is my idea. This will help me. So you don't go and, and, and scare people. That, that simply doesn't work. Some approaches of all or nothing, okay, you can be kind of, you win your purest points if you want to, but 10 years from now, five years from now, you'll be in the same position because usually all or nothing results in nothing. So we want to move the ball forward. One way I describe that is ask any football coach. Pretty much any football team that wins the game won the most first downs. They got the most first downs. They moved the ball down the field. We want to win the game. That's what we're going to do, make progress, move along, and expose libertarianism to people all around the country. 
Finally, we're going to help and continue to help because Larry has done this forever and, and so have I. We're going to help the down ballot candidates because that really is also where the rubber meets the road. And we're going to, we've, we've, we're helping people running for treasurer or for city council or whatever. That's critically important. No one matches Gray Sharp in that effort. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Larry, how will, uh, how will you, what, what are your goals, I guess, is the question. What are your goals as vice president? It's an amazing uh, a question. And again, one of the reasons why I came aboard and, and backed the judge is because the judge had a plan. I mean, he had a plan. He said, hey, Larry, we're going to focus on the, uh, a certain states. We're going to try to win a couple of states. Maybe we, we'll win at least one, maybe we'll win a couple. And he had an idea of, of actually making impact that I saw, okay, now we can rock and roll. Now I'm prepared to give up six months of my life to go do this, right? So that I can go out there and, and at least win one state. Now, would it, your, your, your questioner is correct. The odds of us winning is slim. That's true. But if we're going to win, the way to win is to win enough states so that neither Trump nor Biden can get 207 electoral votes and it goes to the House. If that happens, they pick the judge guaranteed he's the president. That's the way we can win. But let's say we don't get that, right? I know that percentage is low, but assume it doesn't happen. Let's say we even win just one state. We just win a state. Now what's going to happen? Every time they show the electoral map, there's one gold state on the map. That one gold state has to remind every single person in America, we matter. Libertarian Party is real. We are real. That will help every single down state, I'm sorry, down ballot uh, candidate for the next four years. And when I have that, now when I travel which I do travel. Um, you guys know I travel all the time, right? And I've raised money for over 20 different state affiliates. When I'm traveling now, I can make stops in your areas where you're running and the press will follow me because I was the VP candidate last year and the press will follow me. And when the press shows up, I'm not going to say, look how awesome I am. I'm going to say, look how awesome Chris is. He's running for city council. He's amazing, isn't he? And we'll raise money for him and we'll raise his profile and you will find more people win. And if anybody has follow-up questions in the in the comments, we're broadcasting this over Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, Twitch. If you have questions that you'd like to follow up, please ask the ask questions, new questions, or follow-up uh, questions. We're happy to pop those up on the screen and ask uh, either one of them your question. We're moving through the the delegate questions at a good clip. Chris, yes, sir. Chris, take the gloves off now. Ask us something more difficult. Well, this one is this one is fairly. I I could ask very tough questions. Uh, many people are saying he asked the toughest questions, but I want to stick to what the delegates want to know. And this one is fairly tough, and and it does go to one of the the president's favorite punching bags, and that is China. And this delegate would like to know what your thoughts on the rise of China are, and in what ways would your administration's treatment of China and its citizens differ from prior administrations such as Trump and Obama. We, we default to the judge here. He is the presidential candidate. Well, first of all, I applaud a lot of things that China has done. They have raised millions of people up out of poverty. They are really free enterprise oriented. You can almost do anything in China or Vietnam for that matter, as long as you don't criticize the government. But they're also 
competing. They're also not, they're stealing our intellectual property, they're stealing our trade secrets and the rest openly. And what you do there, you know, you don't go to war with them, but you, you publish it. You tell the world community, hey, they're not in the world community. They don't appreciate and abide by trade laws, etc. So if you do that, what's going to be the stick? You know, we're not going to put on trade barriers. What we're going to do, though, with that information, a lot fewer people will start buying uh, buying their Chinese products. You know, people in the marketplace do not like cheating. They don't like you when you you take advantage of your citizen. You have concentration camps and the rest of that stuff. You advertise it. Now, I don't know, candidly, what's been going on in behind the scenes with regard to the Trump administration and the Chinese. I, I just don't know. But in the Gray-Sharp administration, you will know. We're going to talk about it openly. We're going to accuse them appropriately of these misdeeds with their people, these misdeeds with regard to trade, misdeeds with regard to the intellectual property, etc. And I think that will bring results. But otherwise, free trade is a good thing. We encourage it. Mr. Sharp. Yeah, I, I think the judge again has, has has said it exactly right. The the issue here here is if I could if I can give you an example in New York, right? In New York, it is not uncommon at all for someone to decide to voluntarily pay two extra bucks for a craft beer that's you know brewed locally. We have a, a very vibrant or had at least I'm not sure if we still do with the COVID, but we had at least a very vibrant local brewery um, industry in brewing industry in New York. So people will drop two extra bucks for a, a beer because they want the local beer. We have to use what the judge said, which is transparency, to let the American people know exactly what's happening in China, how they're hurting our jobs, how they're stealing intellectual property, how they're hurting our manufacturing. If they actually see this, now we have to move to the next step. Will the average mom or dad or, or parent who's walking to Walmart, will they say, I don't want to spend 25 cents for a pack of crayons, but I'll spend 50 when that begins to happen, the Chinese will see what's happening and they will change and they'll change because the market will tell them to. This is what the judge is saying. All right. This is another tough question, judge, from a delegate and the Libertarian Party of Kentucky. Uh, after their last debate, they have another debate on Saturday night, which the We Are Libertarians Network is a co-sponsor of and a VP debate possibly Tuesday, and one another presidential debate Wednesday, just to give them a plug. They're doing a great job down in Kentucky. Uh, they administered a delegate poll, and Justin Amash ran away with it once all the ballots were counted, uh, all the rounds were done, and roughly one-third of the delegates were polled. You received single digits. How are you going to make up the difference between now and next week? What did you learn from the poll? Well, certainly, and I encourage... Justin Amash to come into the race. I'm a libertarian, I believe in competition. And by the way, and this is a, a phrase from Larry Sharp, you can never go wrong, a BYOP, which means in effect, bring your own press. And he did, he made quite a splash. Good, it helps us with get our issues out there. It helps us get into the media, it helps people discuss and understand libertarianism. So he came in, on a, he used the white knight on the on this golden steed and came in. And so he got some, some residual attention from that. But when things start simmering down and you look at my background, my, my experience, uh, there's no one in this race, actually of any party that has my background and experience. You know, I was in the Peace Corps, I was a federal prosecutor, I was a, uh, actually led a peace march from USC uh, to the steps of City Hall, 
or demanding that Nixon get our troops out of Cambodia. You know, it goes on and on. I was a judge for 25 years. I'm an effective listener. I help settle people's cases. I help listen and, and help resolve disputes, all of those things. So, so once people really, again, the, the newness of it, the glamour wears off, they're going to start seeing who is going to be able best to take us forward. And again, I think that we are the party of unity. We are the campaign of unity. And we will be the campaign of unity, not only for the, for the Libertarian Party, but also for the United States. And we don't have any baggage. You can search high and low. We are going to walk steady. And we're going to, to bring that, that understanding of libertarianism, unlike any other candidates. And I think the delegates are beginning to see that. Larry, let me ask you this. Why is Judge Gray the best candidate in this race, considering, I mean, I've been a libertarian since 2007. I can't remember a, a person announcing for our nomination and being on the Sunday shows that following weekend. That's pretty seductive. Why is Larry, Sh or why is Judge Jim Gray uh, more attractive to you as a candidate than Justin Amash? No, I, I, I think you're right, right? There's no way that I could say that, you know, Amash coming in wasn't positive and wasn't a big boom for us. As I just said, that was my my idea was, right, BYOP, bring your own press. I was the guy yelling for him to come in six months ago. I was yelling for Tulsi Gabbard to come in. I was yelling for Howard Schultz to come in nine months ago. I wanted everybody to come in because I thought it would bring press to us, and that's what I want. And I talked trash about it, and now I have to walk that walk, right? I wanted them in so we could get the press, and what my response was to everybody was, if they come in and bring the press, now it's up to us to show our stuff, right? The press is here. Now show our stuff. Show us how good we are. And I think we're going to see how good the judge is. I think we're seeing that now. The judge is here talking to you. He's showing you who he is, right? Without question, there's an initial shine that Amash has. I agree. But let's go down the road. Who has the least amount of baggage? And most importantly, who has a plan that could actually work? And on top of that, if at the end, we actually grab the ring, right? As uh, uh, as Adam Kokesh would say, we're going to grab the actual ring. We can see that, the, that they're going to maybe vote for us. They're going to vote for the judge. They're going to vote for the judge. And I believe that with my heart. I know the judge. I trust him. They will vote for meaning the Congress will vote for him. We've got a plan to actually work. He's here with you now. That's why he's the guy you should support. Fair enough. Uh, so you'll have to forgive my ignorance on the NIT, uh, but uh, they they are asking you to explain what the NIT is. And then our next question from a delegate in Region 3. How is it any different than the Andrew Yang plan or even Congress and Amash's plan? If the NIT or abolishing of the income tax proved to be politically unfeasible during your term, what other ways would you consider to reform the tax system? So, what is the NIT, Judge Jim Gray? Well, sure. Well, it's basically, it's on the foundation of Milton Friedman. He called it a negative income tax. I don't like the word negative, so I, I use the word stipend. But we call it, in effect, convert a crutch to a ladder. Today, the system we have is awful. Nobody will dispute that, libertarians or anyone else. The tax system is so intrusive, so expensive, so fraudulent, so bureaucratic. The welfare system is the same. It's fraudulent in the rest. This will be able to get rid of 80% of, or so of the intrusion by the IRS. Hey, what a good idea. It'll get rid of, put, it'll, it'll get rid of the disincentives to work. My daughter has given me permission to discuss her story a little bit. 
that she actually has is bipolar and she'll probably, she's having trouble holding a job. So she was volunteering for VLI, which is a wonderful organization, Veterans Legal Institute. And so I went behind her back and told them, look, if you hire my daughter, I will pay you $15 an hour. You pay her $12 an hour. The problem is we quickly found out that if she works more than 10 hours a week, she will lose more in her benefits from Social Security than she gains by working. Our program will put an incentive so you always have that incentive to earn the extra dollar. You have the incentive to improve yourself. By the way, the homeless, which again, let me quickly say, if I, Chris, were bleeding on the street right here, you would have no legal obligation to help me whatsoever unless you caused my injuries, that would be different. But we will because we want to, because we're compassionate people. You're not entitled, maybe you'll even be appreciative, but if you have that safety net, all Milton Friedman, then you can get rid of all of this welfare stuff, except for people with truly special needs, and use the system as a ladder instead of a crutch to, to perform, to be able to gain. The system, they keep calling it UBI, which is universal basic income. That's not it. I do not favor that. That basically provides the government to pay everybody in the country a certain amount of money, including Bill Gates. Okay, where does that money come from? Either my poor little grandson Hudson has to pay it because it's borrowed, or they're going to raise taxes. So you give Bill Gates, what, $600 a month or whatever it happens to be, and then you, of course, charge him something in the order of $10,000 a month higher in taxes, all the administration, everything else. The answer to that is no, I don't, I don't share that at all. But Milton Friedman is the way to go. And so then when we employ this, where we're so much better off than five years from now, then people can take a fresh look and say, hey, that libertarian program worked. Let's go the rest of the way and address the tax system much better. Otherwise, if you just decide the system, all or nothing, I'm going to abolish income taxes. I mean, that's silly. It's not going to happen, particularly with this OVID crisis, the 19 crisis that we've got. It's just not going to happen. Again, you want all or nothing, you get nothing. This is a really good program based upon Milton Friedman. Sorry for the length of my answer because it's a little complicated. If you want more information, again, go to our website, graysharp2020.com, or to my website personally, it's judgejimgray.com. Chris, I have written more about the issues than any other presidential candidate in history, I'll bet you, including James Madison. It's all on my website. No plausible deniability anywhere. It's all there in writing. And I'm, But I don't have all the answers. Let's talk together. And if I can make my program better because of your thoughts, we'll do that. I'm Listen well. Very good. Uh, your thoughts on the NIT, Larry Sharp. I, I think the the reason why the judge is so adamant about this is it's, it – it's only given to people who are making under $30,000 a year. So it erases 80% of all the other things that are there. The bureaucracy is gone, right? All of that's gone. But also, there's no need for minimum wage. Um, it helps veterans who are transitioning. It helps uh, divorced uh, families who are trying to get them back on their own feet. It helps people displaced by technology. It assists people with the next growth. It allows people to to, to do more internships. It, it assists with the gig economy, which is it helps all the newer problems that the older programs aren't ready to help. And if you know this right now, if you're, for example, a single mother of two, you'd be foolish to work. The system punishes you to work. This system doesn't. It allows you to get back into the game as you need to get back into the game. As the judge says, it's a it changes it from, you know, it, it turns it, it changes it and turns it into a ladder, which is what I want, a way of getting people out of poverty. This is a ladder out of poverty. 
Very good. My name is Chris Spengel. I'm the host of We Are Libertarians, a podcast uh, that is almost eight years old, and it's based here in Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, I am hosting a town hall with Judge Jim Gray and Larry Sharp. So if you're just joining us, we're taking questions from Region 3 delegates, which includes Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, and Kentucky. Thank you to Elizabeth Horn for setting this up. And uh, the next question for Judge Jim Gray and Larry Sharp is, what is your dream cabinet? Who is in that dream cabinet of yours? Chris, um, I have definitely people in mind. And candidly, it's going to be certainly libertarians, independents, and also some, some Republicans and Democrats, as long as they agree with our philosophy of you know, live and let live, financial responsibility at all levels of society, certainly include governmental uh, don't tread on me, don't tread on anybody, that sort of thing. And we'll have transparency, we'll discuss things. But as far as telling you who that might be, I think that's inappropriate. It, it would imply maybe that they're endorsing my campaign, which I'm not going there. But what I will do is after we win the nomination, I'm going to take someone that I really trust, someone that's sophisticated, and have him or her start interviewing people, start looking for people, so that when we win the presidency, not Larry told you what the plan is. I think there's a good solid 3.7% chance it will work. But listening to Larry, I think it's, I've raised that to 3.9%. But <laughs> once we win that election, then we'll hit the ground running. People will have already been contacted, not by me, but then we will be able to get really good people at all levels who want the libertarian goal of the libertarians are the only political party that do not want to profit from their involvement with government. We will put people in the cabinet that have exactly that feeling and have libertarian values. And we're going to show the world that the United States of America back is the land of the free and much more prosperous for all. Larry, who would you want in your cabinet? Uh, uh, Ken Armstrong. <laughs> okay. That's it. I'm done. All right. Okay. Well, that's a small cabinet. Libertarians love that. No, uh, I said that's all that I want. The rest is fine. Just as long as I get him, the rest is fine. <laughs> Judge, do you have any specific names? Are there any specific people that you, you look at and you go, they want I'm appointing this person to this role? Uh, I, I tried to answer that question, Chris. I think that would be inappropriate. I do have some people in mind, uh, even for judicial offices, as long as they have that libertarian uh, idea of uh, uh, law under the Constitution. However, with, with Larry's reminder, uh, Ken Armstrong, who is a fellow candidate for president, libertarian, he had a position with the Los Angeles Harbor Authority, where he was in charge of emergency services, emergency uh, response. And of course, you never know what the emergency, when, where it's going to be. It could be earthquake, it could be hurricane, it could be with this pandemic. But he had a program in place because if the emergency happens and, the, and you haven't planned for it, it's too late. So he had a plan in place for earthquakes. Three years later, they had an earthquake and his plan worked wonderfully. Our federal government has failed us with regard to that. So Ken Armstrong will be in our cabinet, at least if he agrees. Thanks for that reminder, Larry Sharp. On to our next question from a delegate. Running a presidential campaign is tough in normal times, extraordinarily so during a pandemic. What insight can you give to libertarians running for office on the challenges and opportunities that the pandemic presents? Judge Jim Gray? Well, I'm vastly disappointed that we're not going to have an in-person convention for the nomination and the election process, but life happens. That's just the way it is. But so it, it, it certainly changes things. But I've been able, by the way, Chris, uh, I'm involved in private mediations, trying to help people settle their cases. And I've had three private mediations over Zoom. 
and I was surprised how personal it could be. So I was able to settle all three cases and uh, worked out a pretty good relationship on the Zoom once I figured out how to do it, which now I'm pretty much good at it. So there are benefits and I could go from here in region three uh, in about an hour, I could go to Hawaii and talk with the delegates there. You know, it's, so it gives you some benefits as well. And that's, that's a good thing. Uh, but I, I'm, it's, it's gotta be a balance, but, but there has been some benefits from this. And one of them is just being able to speak with you directly and then being able to speak to others directly as well. Larry, you've run not only as vice uh, vice presidential candidate now twice, but also for governor. What advice would you give to candidates on some of those down ballot races in a time of a pandemic? Podcast, 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 podcast. That really is a huge piece of this, right? The advantage that we have is I've been podcasting and been doing podcasts for three years already. So um, do a lot of podcasts like this. No tomorrow. That is the modern day press. And if you get a good solid podcast that does that really is interesting, people will share it, right? The the long form interview as you we're having now is more and more popular, particularly with the youth. The young will often I mean, the older uh, generation tends to still like sound bites that they see on the evening news or CNN or Fox, but as a general rule, the youth they like a longer form. So podcast everywhere all the time. I do podcasts weekly. I'm on a podcast at least two every single week. And I do my own in case you hadn't noticed. And I do my own uh, several times a week, uh, both libertarian and non-libertarian. So a lot of podcasts, but the next thing is it's going to open up whenever that happens in your state or time, it's going to open up. And the second it opens up, it is critical. You get out there and start meeting people again. If the people need to see you, once they see you and they heard you or saw you on a video podcast or heard you on an audio podcast, the connection is made. And if the connection is made, you got a good shot at getting the vote. Obviously, Larry Sharp's podcast is called The Sharp Way. Judge Jim Gray, what was your podcast again? So we can all write that down. Yeah, it's called All Rise. I love that phrase. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. I use the word libertarian frequently to just normal, just make it in the mainstream, just to make it be as part of people's normal conversation. The last book I wrote was uh, called Two Paragraphs for Liberty. Solutions that are practical, effective, responsible, libertarian. And then there's Judge James B. Gray, and below that it says libertarian. Because, Chris, and you probably understand this as well, we libertarians have made a major mistake for the last decades, and that is we've allowed other people to label us. And so what does it come out? Oh, kooks. Oh, survival of the fittest. Oh, Ian Rand, uh, greed is good. Well, for the way she was talking about novels, if you're acting in your own economic self-interest, that's greedy. That's good. And we all do then whole system market system works but uh we need to change that and we're normalizing we're, we're making that a part of the culture larry sharp and i are really good at that and we will continue to and by the way one more thing about uh, running a campaign for anyone uh, we have some marvelous volunteers but uh if you really want to get the greatest campaign manager get a fellow by the name of seth levy Seth has been excellent to work with in setting this up, so I want to thank Seth as well as Elizabeth Van Horn. Another question from a delegate, and this one we're going to start with Larry Sharp. Got to flip the script at least once. You are, you are clearly the favorite to win the VP position and could have picked any candidate to run with. Why did you choose Judge Gray? And as an addendum, if Judge Gray doesn't get the nomination, would you be willing to serve as VP for another candidate? And if so, which ones? It's a great question, and I'm happy to answer both of those. The first thing is, 
Um, as I said, it, it's a little bit of a repeat, but I'm happy to repeat it. The judge came to me with an actual plan. The judge came to me with, with people who were behind him. Um, when, when he came and he asked, he said, I have an actual plan. I said, oh, I love it. We have an actual plan to make impact. I didn't want to take six months out of my life to not make impact, right? The, many people ask me, they say, Larry, why didn't you run for this local thing or run for this local thing? Or, or you might win here or you might win there. No. And the reason is when I run, I ask a lot of people, right, To uh, of people. I ask for money. I ask for time. I ask for imagination. I ask for work. I ask for a lot. I ask a lot of people when I run. And if I'm going to ask so much of you and then I'm going to take all, six months out of my life, so I'm asking a lot of me too, I want to make impact. I want to make it worth it. I want you to say, Larry, I gave that, that guy, Larry Sharp, 100 bucks, and I got something in return. If I run for something local, I'll probably lose, not make ballot access, not not do anything of any value. It didn't make any sense. When I ran for governor, yeah, I lost and I gained ballot access. And then the year after I traveled state again, I got 103 victories, down ticket victories. Yeah, that's worth it. I'll do that. When the judge gave me an actual plan and showed me how we can make impact in the future, showed me how we had a chance of victory, showed me how we could actually support down ticket. And then as I walked away to go talk to my wife about doing this, I got phone call after phone call from people saying, Larry, do this. I'm behind the judge. Larry, do this. I'm behind the judge. How could I say no? I wanted to see impact. That's why I would do this to support down ticket so that I get at least 200 victories down ticket next year. If I see that, then I've won. That's why I want to do this is about the next four years down ticket is what this is really about. In my mind, the judge showed me a way to getting there. Others didn't, and that's why I'm going to do that. So this goes to your next question. If someone else besides the judge won, and I thought they could provide that same amount of impact, whoever that might be, yeah, I would absolutely do it. The goal is to make the impact. But I don't see anybody right now doing that. What I see is a judge. Okay, fair enough. So I'm going to skip down and uh, ask another question. We'll start with uh, Larry again. If oh, you today. Yeah, yeah, if you don't win the nomination, what role, if any, do you see yourself playing in the 2020 election season if you're not on the ballot? Okay, so two different things. If I don't win or if I'm not in the ballot? Uh, well, if, if you're not the vice presidential nominee, let's let's okay. say that. Okay, fine. Um, if, some, if, if somebody wants help from me, I will help. I always do. Right. I mean, this isn't just presidential. In 2016, the Gary Johnson campaign officially didn't ask me for help, but I helped them often. Right. Some of you seen me. I was on TV at least six, eight times defending the campaign. So I was on often. Right. I was on many times. I being in New York City is 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 an advantage for me. I can literally just head over. I can get to D.C. in, in four hours on the SL train. I can, I'm, I'm a half an hour to the center of Manhattan if I need to get on TV for any reason on the radio. So I would be happy to be someone's communications uh, representative if they needed me to. I debated instead, instead of Gary Johnson, twice during 2016. He was, into, he was invited to a debate. He couldn't make it, so I debated in his stead. I'm happy to do that, too. So whatever somebody needs, of course. Judge Jim Gray, were you not to win the nomination for president, what role would you see yourself playing, if any? Well, I would play any role that I felt could get that impact. Uh, I believe in our cause. I believe that the American people, particularly now, need that third voice. They're hungry for it. They're, they're, they're totally in favor of what we would do. So I will help any way I can to get this word out to the voters. 
down ticket all the way along. And the presidential candidate as well, whom I will support, asked to do anything, the answer would be yes. And we'll also, by the way, provide any information that we have from our campaign, including donor lists or whatever else, to the nominee and try to help in any way we can. Yeah, that's actually, I'm going to go off script and ask you one of those tough questions that you'd like. Uh, There has been a, a history of presidential campaigns not sharing their lists with the national party. Would you make a commitment today to share your list? Were you the nominee with the national party to help support local parties as well? I thought I just did. Okay, fair enough. Next question from a delegate here in Indiana. How will you start paying down the national debt? Well, again, once, Chris, uh, you don't, I, one candidate said that we would, would I commit to not approving a budget of over a certain amount of money? I'm not into arbitrariness. What we will do is show that audit, show what I call sunset provisions, publicly bring each federal agency before Congress on its own, individually, every five years, whatever, and then they would ask to show, what have you accomplished in the last five years? What, what, what were your goals? How much did you spend? Okay, now what are your goals for the next five years? What are your goals? What do you hope to accomplish? What is the budget you're requesting? And then all of us, be on C-SPAN, whatever, all of us would be able to say, well, no, no, that's duplicated. We don't need this anymore. We'll shrink your budget by 40% now and go off and, and more lean and mean and go for it. We'll save that money. We'll stop borrowing money. We'll stop be involved in these foreign wars, which are expensive, by the way, both not only financially, but also, of course, emotionally and physically. So we're going to pare down the federal government. Chris, do you want to do something discouraging? You want to do something depressing, which I recommend to you and our viewers? Go to Google and and Google the word, the plum book, plum like the fruit. And here you will be able to see a federal book. It's a 212 pages and it lists single spaced all of the positions in the federal government that can be appointed by the president, half of whom are supposed to be confirmed by the Senate. And I mean, it's just staggering how many positions there are. And then if you want to get further discouraged, pretty much each one pays somewhere between $168,000 and $198,000 a year. You wonder why the federal government is so expensive. The answer is no. We'll pare those down significantly. That reduces the federal budget. And that's where we go. Larry Sharp, how do you start paying down the federal deficit? The federal debt, I mean. It's what the judge said. It's it's the audit that he's brought up earlier, right? The judge has talked about an audit. We literally begin to audit everything, right? When I was running for uh, the governor of New York State, at that point, we had about a $400 billion uh, debt um, a debt and about a $6 billion deficit. Now it's going to be massively more. I think it's $16 billion now in New York State. It's just a deficit. So I was talking about a four-year plan to shift the economy of New York State, to end the income tax, and then at that point begin paying off the debt. I My plan in New York State was to fix the economy first and remove the income tax and then begin to pay off the, the, the debt with a plan after four years. I don't know what that plan's possibly going to be for the American. I mean, what's our debt now going to be, what, $30 trillion by the end of this year, maybe more? Whatever that number is going to be, it's going to take an audit, which might take the audit itself might take a year before we can figure out what's the next step. But I think we have to have a plan. What can we pare down? How can we repay our debt? What is required and what's not? And I know that seems like a a bit of a dodge. I get it. But it is a plan. The plan is audit to find the plan and then stop paying it down. 
Okay, and uh, just to tack on to that, Lucy Brenton again asking about end the Fed. Where did the two of you stand on ending the Fed? Same answer. Uh, you audit the Fed. Most people have no idea what the Fed does. They, they just don't. Richard Nixon made an enormous mistake when back in the 70s he took us off the gold standard. I mean, that was just a catastrophe for us economically. Oh, we owe it to ourselves was the issue. No, but we audit the Fed. We expose what they are, what they do, try to buy attrition, bring it down to, you know, 70% of what they're doing, 40%, 10% by the end of the Gray Sharp administration, I hope. But one way or the other, that's the, that's the way you do it. If you say, oh, abolish the Fed, now that's all or nothing again, you get nothing. And people will think you're, you're just some, some kook that, that just isn't going to get it done. You do it more slowly, but you make that progress. And that's what we will do. Yeah, um, I tell this story often. Um, what I do in my day job, when the government allows me to work, I live in New York, so the government stops me from working. But when the government is in its, in its, in its, uh, uh, allows me in its wisdom to work, I, I'm a trainer. I train people on heavily leadership and things of that sort, business, things of that sort. And some of the things people that I train are New York City uh, agencies. One of them, Department of uh, Transportation, Office of Emergency Management, Department of Buildings, all those. So at one point, I'm teaching a bunch of New York City professionals. Youngest is maybe 30, oldest is maybe 60, all educated, all certified credentialed. And during during a break, one of them says, uh, oh, it's maybe five years ago. Oh, I'm so glad we have a Fed. Oh, it saved us during the crash, blah, blah, blah. And I rarely talk about any of these uh, issues during class, but it was during a break. And all I asked was, do you guys know that the Fed is basically a private bank? And every one of them, no, no, there's probably 20 people there. No, no, not true. I said, Google it. And they all Google it. And all of a sudden they go, huh? oh my God, it is. I'm like, yeah. Do you know the Fed can just magically print money? And even though I just showed them that I was right, still every one of them said, no, no, it's not true. I said, Google it right there. They Googled it. Oh my God. So my point is, these are adults, educated, credentialed, not one of them even knew the Fed was a private bank. Not even one of them knew that the Fed just prints money. They didn't know that. We have a lot of work to do, which is why I like the audit piece first so that people can see what it actually does and go, oh my God, why the hell do we have this? But to the judge's other point, wean it off or do something like that. If we end the Fed, we've got to base our money on something. We don't know what that is yet. You can't just go, well, that's the end. So there's got to be some way of figuring out, okay, how are we going to handle money now? Is it going to be crypto? Is it going to be based on gold? Is it going to be based on some other thing? How are we going to base our money or perhaps even monies? Maybe we'll have more than one currency. Who knows? But we don't know until we audit. By the way, Chris, too, the, the audit not only educates, but it informs. So people will now understand not only that the private bank, but also informs them as to what they're doing and what the, the practicalities are. That's just the only way that you can get things done. Next question is, how will you exercise your ability to pardon people convicted of federal crimes? Judge Jim Gray. Well, federal crimes, of course. Um, I would put in a commission from day one to, to start looking into these things. We took, Chris, back in the 80s, a political slogan, get tough on crime, and turned it into a national governmental policy. And it's just been a disaster. I, I hope you know the statistic. It troubles me greatly. 
The United States of America has 5% of the world's population and 25% of its prisoners. And as actually U.S. Senator Jim Webb from Virginia said, when faced with those statistics, either we're the most criminally oriented people in the world or we're doing something wrong. Which do you think it is? You know, I believe in justice. I believe in accountability. As a judge, I'm in the responsibility business. But also as a prosecutor, by the way, I will tell the attorney general to tell all the United States attorneys and then all the assistant United States attorneys, as a prosecutor, you act for us. You speak for us. You will do the right thing for the right reason every time. Now, we have too many people in prison many of whom simply should not be there. We have tens of thousands of people in even the federal system that should not be there. Maybe they, if they were factually innocent, that's an atrocity. And anyone who claims factual innocence in the federal system, we will look into it because you cannot have that happen. Secondly, maybe you're good for the offense, but maybe you sold a ton of marijuana for a profit. Okay, that's against the law that you should be held accountable. But 30 years in prison, I mean, really, 10 years, eight years, six years probably would have been sufficient. If they've been there over that long period of time on a case-by-case -case basis, we're going to evolve them back into society. Probably, in fact, retrieving the, uh, the parole system. So you work at it, but on a case-by-case -case basis. We're not gonna open the jails. We're not gonna let prisoners be out, but we have over-incarcerated and we've harmed people unnecessarily as well as their families. But on a case-by-case -case basis, we'll look at it and we will do that And in the spirit of Again, I was in the Peace Corps. I care about people. I care about justice, but too much education uh, is never enough. Too much incarceration is always too much. Larry? You know, I think I want to, this goes right back to the judge's views. This this is all about the audit. I'm, I'm, it's The judge has been saying the audit, the audit, the audit, and now we'll audit all of those people who were arrested. I think it's, it's, it's the same plan that we talked about before. There isn't much I can add. Okay, so for this this next question, I have a, a clarifying question for you both. The question is, if nominated, you will be the only combat veteran in the race. Uh, have both of you served in the military? I saw USMC, a tattoo on Larry's arm. Uh, so are you both no, veterans? I'm a poser. It's not real. That's, Marines don't, I don't think you'd take the risk of getting a Marine <laughs> tattoo without being a Marine. Uh, my whole family are Marines, and I wouldn't take that risk personally. Are you both combat veterans? Um, yes, I was in the Navy. Uh, actually, I told you that I took place in between May of 1970, led a protest march from USC regarding our Cambodia. One of the ironies of my life, Chris, was within three months of that, I was on a midshipman cruise for the Navy in the rivers of Vietnam and uh, USS Meeker County. I was on and all, all the crew on that ship were uh, given combat action ribbons. So yes, I was that. But then thereafter, you know, I was Navy JAG. Uh, you maybe saw this show on television. It was amazing. I never flew a helicopter, never fired a submachine gun. <laughs> but yeah, I was Navy JAG, and um, I'm proud of that. Uh, and I learned, by the way, uh, Dr. Sharp, I learned a lifelong appreciation of Marines. I, 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 that stays with me today, and I salute you for that service. So um, I am not a combat vet. As you can see in my picture right here, this is me when I was in the Marine Corps. I spent uh, seven, oh, there it is right there, by my hero. So yes, uh, there is my picture that I keep up here. Um, the I, I I was in the Marine Corps during the Cold War, right in the eighties and the early nineties. So I was in during the first Gulf War. I was training Marines to go to combat, and my unit was supposed to go. But for those you might know, the uh, the first Gulf War ended in like five minutes, so my unit never went. So no, I am a Gulf War era veteran, but I never saw combat. Okay, so the delegate would like to know. 
uh, how will you get current and former members of the United States Armed Forces to back your campaign? We ask Judge Jim Gray first. Oh, goodness, Chris. They are, again, our natural constituents and their families. Uh, first of all, it's the enormous breach of contract, as I started to say earlier, is the way we treat our vets. That if you come back and maybe you've lost a limb, you're going to get pretty good care because it's visible. But if you have PTSD or what they used to call shell shock, uh, you're pretty much swept under the rug. And I, I would venture to say that maybe 20% of all homeless people today in our country are vets. And the suicide rate is just just ridiculously high. So we will give, in effect, the veterans education, excuse me, medical care their way. That we'll basically allow them to use the veterans as if they were in an insurance company. They can go to their own medical doctors, their own counselors, and the rest of that. So veterans are natural constituents. The military, again, we said earlier, we're not going to send them into, into combat unless there's a declaration of war. We're going to withdraw our troops from the Yemens and the and the Kosovo's and the other places around the Iraq. By the way, when I was running for U.S. Senate in 2004, I told anyone that would listen, if we put combat troops into Iraq, it would be the biggest mistake of my lifetime. And nothing has happened since then to change my mind. So we have troops today in Afghanistan. What is the goal? I'll ask anyone listening to this. What is the goal for those troops that they are fighting for? Nobody knows. We should be gone from there. The troops are serving us. They are putting their lives on the line. They're having problems thereafter frequently. We are their constituents. So military troops, if they understand, and their families are natural constituents of Gray Sharp 2020. Larry? Yeah, I think there are two specific ways that we make what the judge says happen. One is to talk about the VA which most people just talk about throwing more money at it or about uh, you know firing somebody. We actually want to make changes to the VA to where when you come back, you actually want to use the benefits to where it becomes actually valuable, real change in the VA. That's number one. But the second thing we're going to talk about is the reason why most people join the military. Most people join the military because they believed in their heart. I was one of them. We believed that when we joined, we were going to be fighting for the Constitution and fighting for life and liberty. And we thought we were fighting for the freedoms of Americans. That's what we believed. And then we found ourselves sitting in some desert, not knowing why we were there. And when those veterans come back, when, those, when they become veterans and they come back, we need to tell them, look, you can actually do that. There's a way of doing what you wanted to do when you signed those, those papers. You can do that. You can fight for liberty. You can fight for freedom. You can fight for the Constitution. You can fight for the America that you wanted. It's called joining our party. You do that, they'll come to us. I know. I'm one of them. And to be clear, the guy who ran, when I ran for governor, the guy who ran my social media was a guy from Bernie. He ran Vets, uh, uh, vets for Bernie. So I brought him aboard for that. So it can work. So we've we finished the delegate questions. Let's take just a few moments. We've got two or three questions from the audience solicited over the social networks. One is from the great Hody Johns, who is a co-host here on the podcast and was a former volunteer for Larry Sharp's campaign in New York. Uh, he says, if he wants a tough question, both Gray and Sharp have been part of campaigns that were tremendously underwhelming and fell well short of even pessimistic goals. Why will this be? Why will this run be different? Let's start with the 2012 race of Gary Johnson. Would you uh, agree, I'll put the question back up on the screen, that it was underwhelming and fell short of goals? How, how do you interpret that 2012 race? Well, I can tell you, um, 
being the vice presidential candidate in 2012 with Governor Gary Johnson was the most exciting, exhilarating experience of my life and also the most frustrating. But we just didn't get the traction. I felt that then and I felt now that we were the better candidates, we would have done a better job in office, but certainly not being involved with the presidential debates uh, hurts. You're not deemed to be viable. We got a lot of votes, by the way. We got well over a million votes back then, and then Gary Johnson got more later, but, but it was not satisfactory in that fashion. We didn't have a plan. This time, we're going to go into those small states. We're going to get traction. I got a lot of local media when I traveled before, but we're going to really focus upon those. Larry will spend a lot of time there. I will spend a lot of time there. And then when we start making benefits, making, making it in the polls in, I'm not sure where, Washington or, or South Dakota or New Hampshire, wherever it happens to be, that will become a national issue. People will look from the national media and say, well, wait a minute, what is what are Gray Sharp doing over in Montana, in Alaska? Hey, something's going on over there. So there'll be coattails. So we will drag more people upward with us, legitimize more down-ballot candidates. We will make the splash that way. And besides, there's always controversy. But in today's world, Chris, we have such polarization. We have Biden on the one hand, Trump on the other hand, and people are craving to have a legitimate voice. Again, I'll look them in the eye and say, you, your vote will make history. I will mean it, and they will understand it as well. So nobody can guarantee results, but this is a plan that will work, I, I strongly believe, all the way around. It's one, as I tell people, visit our website, graysharp2020.com. Join us, support us, help us move mountains. If you do, or even if you don't, we will do you proud. I mean, so what do you, I, I'm always surprised when I look on our social media and see criticisms of Gary Johnson. What, what do you make of the inter-party criticisms of your former running mate? Well, Gary Johnson is not particularly a politician. He's, he tells the truth. And sometimes he comes out, out as kind of laid back. It really worked in New Mexico. He was a great entrepreneur in Mexico. Uh, but it comes across a little bit as laid back. Uh, and so that was kind of a problem. Uh, yes, he had that Aleppo incident. And I, you know, I mean, that just happens to people. He was thinking leopard. I mean, it just the question came out of nowhere. But Gary Johnson was devoted to the Libertarian Party. Uh, he is, by the way, a real person who's involved in He's competitive like you can't believe. Try going skiing against him sometime. Or now he's training for yet another bicycle race from Canada to you know, he's going to shave three days off his time. I mean, he's a real competitor. He's a really good man. He's a good friend of mine. I was proud to be his running mate. Nobody's perfect. Uh, he is not as dynamic, maybe, as he might be. But that's pretty much my only criticism of him. You mentioned, Larry, in your before we get to your gubernatorial race, you mentioned in your uh, announcement of this, of your admiration for Gary Johnson. What do you make of the criticism when you see it? See, now you're going to get me angry. And I'm going to tell you why. Gary Johnson's an honest man. He's a good man. I wish he was president now. Anyone who thinks that he would have made a worse president, you're not paying attention. He'd have been a far better president than anybody else who was running. And even now, he, he's a good, honest man. He's the reason I'm a libertarian. Without hearing him, I don't come aboard. I'm doing something else, somehow doing something else. He is an instinctual libertarian. He knows Things just feel wrong or feel bad or feel unfair, and he speaks about it. And yet, does that mean he sometimes says things you don't like? Yes. But does he lie to you? No. He tells the truth, and you, what you see is what you get, and I will take that any day of the week. 
I love Gary Johnson. I will back Gary Johnson every single time. Great man, great guy. Wish he was present today. No criticism. Did anybody else get four and a half million votes? No. When you get 4.6, open your mouth. Until then, you can shut up. Love it. By the way, yes, sir. Chris, he asked me to be his running mate in 2012. After I said yes, and then he told me something that I still can't believe. He said, Jim, if you disagree with me, feel free to say so publicly. I mean, I really don't think that Obama said that to Biden. I really don't think that uh, uh, Romney said that to Ryan. You know, that was something that showed the character of this man. He also said, of course, be sure you're right, which is also a good idea. Well, there's something else. I've got to tell this story, too. In 2016, when I wanted to run for vice president, I met him and I sat with him in a diner in New York City in Manhattan. My daughter was there. And I told him and I said, Governor, I really want um, to be your vice president. You know what he told me? He said, no, Larry, I don't want you to be my vice president. He told me. He didn't lie to me. He told me to my face. I respected that. He could have lied to me. Oh, you could. And then I said, okay. I said, Governor, do you want me to not run? Is that what you want? I won't run if you tell me not to run. You know what he told me? He said, no, Larry, you should run. You'll raise the bar. That's Gary Johnson. He said, no, Larry, you should run. You'll raise the bar, even though he didn't want me as his VP. Uh, to add my own personal story about Gary Johnson, because I asked this intentionally, because I like Gary Johnson. Uh, the I was I was sitting in the back of the room in the 2012 convention, and he had just been nominated our presidential candidate. And he walked into the back of the room, and he pulled up. And he goes, oh, "Is anybody sitting here?" And he ended up sitting in the back of the room at the table next to the to the chubby executive director of the Libertarian Party of Indiana. Had a great conversation with him, and then Sam Goldstein, who is on the LNC now, just was beside himself, and he goes, "You're the nominee." You should be at that at the, on the day. I said, because I don't want to be up there. So I always found him to be a very humble person. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so I appreciate your perspectives. Um, so let's talk about the 2018 race. Do you feel that this yeah, is... Put, that, put the question back up so I can scold this guy. Yeah, so do you feel All that... All right, was, look, let me ahead. talk to Hody. Hody, what campaign were you on? Was it mine? <laughs> yes. You just said tremendously underwhelming and fell short of pessimistic goals. Did you think I was going to become emperor of the universe? I don't know what you were thinking. Number one, we got new donors that we hadn't had. We expended the donor base like there was no tomorrow, raising half a million dollars. That's horrible. That's bad. Not just that. We brought so many libertarians together from around the entire country. We brought lovers together, friends together. People got jobs out over this. We built an infrastructure that people are still using today. We then got 103 victories the next year from gaining ballot access that year, the first time we ever got in over 40 years. That's horrible and pessimistic. I don't know what you were on. I don't know what campaign you were looking at, what you expected of us. Oh, my God. Ballot access, 103 victories. People got jobs off of this, expanded our donor base. We have a policy library at LarrySharp.com that people are using all the time. I interview libertarians three or four a week. And at least half of them say, I picked up a policy from LarrySharp.com. I don't know what you're talking about, dude. I don't, I don't know what campaign you were on. I muted myself. Uh, sorry, but all right. So let's end with this. Jackie Davis asks, how could the LP position on decriminalization benefit all Americans? Well, it already has. Uh, this is our program. This is We should take credit for it. I've been... You, you probably know, Chris, in 1992, as a sitting trial court judge, I held a press conference 
decrying, telling the world, anyone that would listen, our nation's policy of drug prohibition has failed us. And I've been talking about that ever since. And I've been on lots of media, the O'Reilly Factor twice, by the way. He didn't like what I was saying, but he invited me back. So, so that sort of thing. It's our issue. Same thing, you know, with gay marriage, with treating people as individuals. All of these are libertarian words. They're, they're much too slow in taking effect, but they are taking effect. So with whole around the country now, thanks to the libertarian movement, we are finally getting justice more into this whole failed drug policy system. And, uh, and we will continue to take a bow. How will drug legalization, decriminalization, she said, benefit all Americans, Larry Sharp? Yeah, no, I think the idea of, of going for decriminalization is the right answer. I like the concept. Because what it does is it, it, it gets people to question whether the laws are required or not. We don't always go to decrim. We sometimes go to legalization, which, you know, a lot of libertarians don't like. They think it's not a good enough step. But depends upon what's happening. Sometimes legalization is a good enough step to decriminalization. And sometimes it's not required. But I love the idea of decriminalization of lots of things, not just drugs. The idea of all vice, you know, just saying we should decriminalize victimless crimes of all types, just having that conversation. I can't tell you how many times you find people who may disagree on A, but then agree on B, but then realize the hypocrisy of both and then begin to have some type of you know epiphany on the entire concept. So I think it does nothing but help. It's a great thing. Chris, in addition, um, it's one of those occasions in which you have philosophy and practicality just hand in hand. That as I tell people, it makes as much sense to me to put this gifted actor Robert Downey Jr. in jail for his heroin problem. And he's had pretty much a lifelong heroin problem. And he has to be careful and have those cravings. It makes as much sense to me to put Robert Downey Jr. in jail for his alcohol for his heroin problem as it would have Betty Ford in jail for her alcohol problem. It's the same thing. It's a it's the same medical issue, bring them closer to medical professionals that can help them instead of pushing them farther away. But here's the philosophical part. It's it's the my standpoint, the government has just as much right to control what I as an adult put into my body as it does what I put into my mind. It's none of their business. Simply, may I say that again? It's just none of their business. That's the philosophy. This is the practicality. It doesn't work. And by the way, the criminal justice system was designed to and is quite good at protecting us from each other. And hooray for that. But it's not designed for and is woeful at trying to protect us from ourselves. That's what Garrett Larry is saying with regard to any non-violent, non, uh, non-crime uh, non like that. So, so it really, really, really comes together. Victimless crimes should not, should not be prosecuted. That just doesn't work. All right, let's end with your final pitch to the delegates. Why should you be their choice come convention day, whenever that may be? Let's start with Judge Jim Gray. Give us your final pitch. Get really straight, straightforward. My background, I was in the Peace Corps. I care about people. I put in programs for peer court I, to help mentor children, to help people that are alcoholics get off alcohol. I'm a practically minded person. I'm a caring person. I am not a radical. I, as a judge for 25 years, I was trained to listen. And I will, I'm trained to get information, the accurate information, consider it, make a decision, and, and discuss it publicly. You know, you lose because I say so, of course, it's never popular, nor should it be. But I'm a, I'm a person that is pretty much mainstream. I've never used any illicit drugs, that sort of stuff. I don't have a, any violence in my background and that sort of thing either. We will just put in libertarian values. 
We will put in libertarian approaches, libertarian principles. We will strive for them. We will educate. We will inform. We will stimulate. We will not scare, but we will show people why what we're talking about actually works. We will mainstream that. We will change the culture in our country. So again, I, I tell you, and this is the last thing, maybe I'll repeat it, but go to graysharp2020.com. You'll like what you see. If you want more specific information, go to judgejimgray.com, but visit us, join us, support us. You'll be gratified if you do. Help us move mountains because mountains are going to be moved. And one way or the other, if you do or if you don't, we will do you proud. Of that, I am sure. Thank you for sharing these thoughts. Larry? You have to think as a delegate, what are you looking for? Meaning, what do you want from this campaign? If you're saying, I don't really care, you know, whatever, president doesn't matter. I just want some guy who thinks the way I think. Well, then pick that guy or gal. There's some savvy people who are running, and it's great. Pick them. But if you're saying what I actually want is impact, I like the fact that if I have a good top of the ticket at the bottom of the ticket can can benefit this year and the next and years to come. If that's what you want, that's what I want. That's why I'm behind Judge Jim Gray. If you want what I want, support the judge and you'll get it. It's a little that simple. All right, you both made a fan out of Will Edwards who said, I didn't even know these guys were running until I got this live notification. I'm very impressed by what they had to say. Very impressed. We're winning, Judge. (laughs) So thank you both so much for uh, joining us. What was the website again if people want to find out more information? Certainly, www.graysharp2020.com. Gray is G-R-A-Y, sharp has an E on the end. And by the way, go to Larry Sharp's website as well. And see the sharp, the Larry Sharp story. It's about a ten-minute video. It'll, it's really inspirational. This man has overcome a lot of problems in his life. He is a true success. I'm proud that he is my brother. Proud is he is my running mate. And thanks, Chris, for for helping us get our word out. We appreciate that. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. And I put out the call on all of our social network. If you're watching and you're part of another uh, delegation or a state, and you want another or another campaign, I'm happy to host this and use our platform to give. Uh, more information. Uh, this was done simply as a way to, to, to help Region 3 delegates understand what they're doing or who they're voting for. So happy to help any other campaigns or uh, state parties. Uh, one other note, just for those watching live, if you want the jury nullification question, that was at the very beginning of this. So you want to go back and rewind. It is amazing how those things get taken out of context and become uh, folklore after about uh, three and a half hours. So please go back and check that out. Thank you both so much for joining me. You're certainly welcome. Good luck to us all. All right. Thank you, everyone. My name is Chris Bangle, and this has been uh, hosted by We Are Libertarians, the podcast. Check out The Sharp Way and check out All Rise, The Libertarian Way. Thank you so much for joining us.